On this episode of The Clappers, we're talking Kafka's The Trial. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> Wait till you hear about well, that. Carl's the, Carl's the Trial. And Carl K. We're talking about Lord Jim by Joseph Conrad. And moving into the 21st century, we're talking I May Destroy You. It's a good century, that 20th century, mate. Don't, don't knock it, man. We talk, we talk the outsider. Not the Camus outsider, no, sorry, the television series based on the Stephen King novel. Sorry, I didn't mean to get your hopes up. It would have been very exciting <laughs> if we were to talk about the outsider, but no, we're not talking about that. We're talking about another one. We're also not, not talking the plague, although uh, no. we probably should. We probably sh- I think next time we're going to yeah. talk about the plague. I've, I've got some views on Camus' plague. And also, uh, Jeff Goldblum's got a very amusing series on Disney. You can watch if you're a Disney Welcome to the Clappers. This is Andrew Young. And this is Carl Quinn. Tell me about the hair, Carl. I can't see it. This is one of the uh, <laughs> downsides. There's many upsides in doing it without I, being in the same room. But one of the downsides. I think the fact that you can't see my hair probably counts as an upside. Yeah. It's, uh, uh-huh. it, it, it's, it's put an application in for its own postal address. Okay. It has yep. uh, taken on a life of its own. Yeah. Um, so a, it continues to cascade down your shoulders. Well, I mean, I have I have two options really. Uh, one is <laughs> really to, to leave it, <laughs> to leave it to grow and to do mm. what it will, and the other is to get out the wild clippers that are sitting in my bathroom cupboard. Mm. And uh, there have been a few days where I've been tempted to do that, but you know, look, I kind of figure I don't have to. I don't have to rock up to an office. I'm I'm barely seeing anybody face to face. I can just leave it and Guys see like you, how it you ends. Talk up. about rocking up to the office. It makes <laughs> it sound so cool to work in an office, doesn't it? Somebody must have been telling lies about you, Carl. Mm, why is that? Well, a book that I hold in my hands, whose first sentence I have memorized, begins like this. Someone must have been telling lies about Joseph K. Without oh. having done anything wrong, he was arrested one fine morning. Dear listener, to which activity do I allude of Carl's? A man obsessed with comments. Oh, go on, go on, go on. I'm just saying that that I, I it's a very influential book in my life, The Trial by mm. Franz Kafka, as 1984 as well, and it's that and books by my great friend Dick. Uh, have, have influenced the way I feel. And who, laws who would and ever government and... have imagined that you'd be mm. living through 1984 and the trial? Why don't you frame it for the listener who doesn't know what the hell you're talking about? Because, frankly, Carl, I'm not sure that Carl, I know okay. what you're talking okay. about. Okay. I'm going to tell everybody. Carl broke the law. He was punished <laughs> for breaking the law. Rightly so. He was fined. And he wrote an, uh, a column, an opinion piece about it, which is worth reading. I recommend everybody with a mobile phone or the internet to read Carl's column in uh, the age of 13 October 2020, where he jumped onto the tracks to retrieve a ball naughty, thrown naughty, by his daughter, naughty. not only breaking the law, but setting a very poor example as a father. Well, she wasn't there. Child. She wasn't I wasn't, there. Oh, sorry. No, of course not. I was under the impression that she was no. standing there and you said, Look she at came me. Home. She came home. She went out to walk the dog. She came home like 30 seconds later. And I said, what? Mm. The dog's barely even like, you know, strained Cold at its the grave. leash. <laughs> barely even strained it at its leash. What are you doing? She said, <laughs> oh, the ball went out to the tram tracks. 
I was like, well, what? And so I went back. I went I'm, back I'm, with the dog, with yeah. the ball chucker. I yeah. looked at the at the ball lying there on the train tracks. I looked forlorn. At the, I looked a kilometer down the train line where you mm-hmm. could, where you can see no train coming. I looked at the looked at the timer. You know the notice board. Twelve minutes till the next train. I live mm. beside this train line. I know the frequency of trains. I mean, I mm. don't know that sure. I haven't committed the train the the timetable to to memory exactly. You have staff for that. But, you know, I know that we don't get freight trains rumbling through. I know that it's it's regular, right? So I mean, okay, I'm going to jump down. I'm going to get that Call ball. Call it the Metamucil line. I'm going to get that ball. I'm going to jump back up. Done in five seconds. Two PSOs, protective services officers. Not real police. Not real police, but pretty close, actually. Um, saw me and walked from some distance. I saw them coming. And this mm. is the thing that really bugs me, right? I could have That's left right. the park, right? Mm-hmm. They're only allowed to apprehend you in the immediate environs of a, of a railway station. If I'd stepped out of that park, I would have been out of their reach, right? Mm. Anyway, mm. I didn't. I thought, oh, look, they're going to give me a talking to, and fair enough. I know I shouldn't have dropped down to the railway line, but what else was I going to do, you know? Um, <laughs> not drop down of the railway line what? and leave the ball where it is. That's what else you were going to do. What, what harm <laughs> What harm have I done in None. going onto the railway line to I retrieve agree. the ball? I agree. It's a victimless yeah. crime. It's a victimless on, crime. Yeah. Well, it is and it isn't. And, and we, you know, right, anyway. continue, continue yeah. the story. Look, anyway, so they come up to me. I go, yeah, yeah, all right. Okay, I know I've, no, I've done the wrong thing. Yes, you've done the wrong thing. Well, uh, what's your name? What's your address? And I was like, oh, I don't know that I want to give you my name and address. Well, you have to because, you know, if you don't, it's an offence. I mean, well, but you're only going to give me a ticket, aren't you? And they said, and this guy said, no, I'm not going to give you a ticket. I can't give you a ticket. I'll just take your details and give them to head office and it'll be up to them to decide whether or not to give you a ticket. And I went, right, okay. Mm. Gave him my details and then he started writing out a ticket, right? And I thought, hang on, you just... You just told me straight to my face that you weren't going to mm-hmm. give me a ticket. And then he said, yeah, but I think I don't think you're not going to do it again. And I was like, what? <laughs> Judge, <laughs> jury, and executioner. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's kind of like, so you're making this assessment of my character, uh, predicting the future. I know you. I've listened to future. that bloody podcast you yeah. do. I know yeah, what well, you're that's like. Right, you're, yeah. you're, you're, not you're that, you're that <laughs> clapper's bloke, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. Not only that, but I predict your hair's going to get ridiculously long and scruffy. <laughs> well, he was right. Anyway, um, so then mm. I, it, this went on and I said, are you recording this on your camera? And he said, yes. And I said, can I see that footage? And he said, yes, you can request to see that footage. Yes, you can be made available to blah, blah, blah. And I went, okay. And I did film a little bit of this exchange on on the on my own phone camera, but none of the juicy stuff. I didn't get I him. Know. I didn't get him lying to me overtly. I got him right. talking about why he changed his mind. Right. So it's kind of like it's useless. It, well, I didn't think to yeah. ask the right question. Yeah. I didn't think to say why did you did you just tell me blah that you weren't going to yes. issue a fine, which is what I should have done because then I wouldn't have needed the footage anyway. So this mm. all happened. And then I got the fine and I went, and it's 430 bucks. It's kind of like, well, that's annoying, isn't it? And it's really, you know, I've hurt nobody. I, there's like the risk is minimal, blah, blah, blah. But whatever. Caught me bang to rights. But I was really, really annoyed about the fact mm. that he'd lied to me. And it's just mm. like, that's that's got to be an offence. So I did some, you know, ferreting around. And yes, it is an offence. If a mm-hmm. PSO or a police officer lies to you in the course of their duty, they have committed an offence. So yeah. I, I guess it was like, well, does this mean that that offence then nullifies my offence or does it mean that my offence stands 
but they're also, you know, up up for some sort of, uh, you know, whatever. Um, rebuke. Rebuke indeed. So, so I kind of, as a bit of a bit of a, I guess a, a, a semi-intellectual exercise, I thought, well, let's see what happens if I complain about this, if I object to it, and <laughs> request to see the footage. Very semi-intellectual. Well, it's very semi-intellectual. <laughs> I didn't really put a lot of thought into it. But... <laughs> But let's see what happens if I if I request the footage. What happened mm. was they mm. said no, right? And then mm. said, well, you can request, you know, this is Fines Victoria, basically the police's, you know, revenue-raising yes. arm. Believe uh, it or not, I've had some dealings with I'm Fines sure you Victoria. have. I'm sure you've had some correspondence, Andrew Young. Indeed I have. And so anyway, bang, rejected. I then go to uh, Freedom of Information, bang, rejected. I then go to a, appeal of Freedom of Information, mm. bang, rejected, but on mm. different grounds. The second time, it was on the grounds that I'd requested the footage in full. If I'd requested some of the footage, maybe I would have got it. I don't know. Anyway, I wrote an article about this because uh, two weeks ago, there was a county court ruling that um, police could not be compelled to release their body-worn camera footage in civil matters, and it was in the case of a guy who said he'd been assaulted by police. And I thought... My case doesn't matter. My case doesn't matter at all. It's just such small beans. It's nothing. I did it because I was a little bit bored and a little bit annoyed. But really, if if I'd been racially vilified or if I'd been, you know, sexually assaulted or if something, you know, had happened that that was really that really meant something, and my best chance of proving that was the the body worn camera footage, what right do I have to actually access that? And what I found was I have none. And I found that absolutely appalling. So I wrote about it. And, uh, yeah, there you go. That's what you're referring to. Yeah. Mm. Do you receive uh, extra payment for your extra duties writing opinion pieces? No. Good Lord. Ah, that's a shame. No. Because had you been paid $630 or whatever, it would have all all evened itself (laughs) out. Somebody did suggest I could claim it it against tax as research. (laughs) You could. Uh, You could have gone to one of those magazines. (laughs) Have you heard about this book? I've read it. But I've read it about 30 years ago. And um, I'm trying to remember. He's a naval commander, isn't he? Or a naval officer? No. Oh, no. It is a, is a book of the sea. Yeah. Joseph Conrad wrote yeah, it, and he yeah. spent a lot of time at sea, and a, a lot of his books are set. I might be on, confusing with Nostromo, I think, maybe. On, on rivers and, and in, in the oceans and so on. It's about, uh, it's about a man who imagines himself to be brave and strong and true and possessed of all the great uh, empire values that uh, an Englishman would have coming out to the far-flung reaches of the empire. I, I wish the book was a little more specific about where it was set. I'm suspecting somewhere around Java, Indonesia and, and Singapore, somewhere uh, around that zone. And he uh, is working on uh, like a tramp steamer, like a, a, a ship that's, that's in not great shape, that's taking a whole lot of pilgrims, I suspect, to Mecca, um, Muslim pilgrims. And the, the, the whole point, the whole the, the action of the book takes place uh, around a scenario where he is at, he, he's at the tiller, he has these wonderful daydreams of himself as this great hero. It, someone falls overboard, but he thinks that that's not a serious enough thing for him to be heroic over. And eventually a terrible thing happens where the ship sinks. All the, all, well, it, it hits something unseen in the water 
and the crew uh, all bail out into a into like a lifeboat, and he's riven with indecision. He doesn't know what to do. He can see that the water's about to burst through the hull and pour in, and he jumps in too, and they escape, and he feels uh, more more than bad about this. But you know they've made their escape, but. What they don't, don't realise is that another ship comes along and rescues all the drowning pilgrims. And so there's a court case and he gets uh, accused of... Well, the main, the main thing is that he's uh, committed a crime against the traditions of the sea, hmm. against the... He didn't the, go down with the ship. He didn't go... Well, I mean, that, that's... Yeah, that, that was... There is a law now uh, that the US doesn't recognise, but it's recognised in, in Europe and in international maritime law that it is a crime for an officer to abandon a ship and to abandon the passengers. Mm. Uh, the Birkenhead, which was a ship that sank in 1852, was where this whole idea of women and children first comes about. Uh, the book goes on its way. It's a, very, it's a rambling tale. It's told uh, in the second person, something, the style that Somerset Maugham then uh, took up decades later, uh, where this man who seems to have fallen in love with Jim follows his case, watches what happens in court. The captain, by the way, runs off and doesn't face the music from in terms of a court case. And Jim's punishment, really, is not, it's not a great punishment. He just take, has his licence to work in commercial shipping taken away from him. But he's not imprisoned. Um, he's not executed. Uh, it, you know, maybe it, it turns out that it's okay because nobody drowned. The fact, the fact that's interesting about this book, of course, is that it's all about the feelings of the white man and the feelings about the British, the feelings about this poor man who is so lovely and handsome to gaze upon, who is such charisma, who is clearly one of us, juxtaposing that with the constant um, overkill of the filth and the degradation of the natives. Like there's a real visceral sense that, that, that the people who are not white and British, and Europeans included, are dirty and filthy and disgusting. And uh, the narrator tries to help him and, and the book. I won't say how it happens in the end. It, it has... Uh, Elements of something that you're a great fan of, that is redemption. Yes, I was wondering when you were going to get to that. There is redemption. Yes. Uh, but it's a very interesting book. Immediately the modern reader is going to think of the Costa Concordia. We remember the Costa Concordia, which on Friday the 13th of uh, January 2012 struck some uh, rocks or reef and uh, sank. 32 people out of the 4,200 died, and the captain escaped. He left the ship and sat on a um, on a, uh, a rock, feeling sorry for himself, looking at the at the uh, at the ship sinking. Really? He was. He was. Do you not know about this? No. Well, I don't his, remember it. No. Uh, his name's Captain Francesco Chattino. He joined, amusingly enough, as a safety officer, and then uh, rose up to become a captain. Um, it was said that he was bringing his ship too close to an island to impress his uh, paramour. He uh, was having an affair with a woman on board the ship. Was trying to... That's not really how, it, how the investigation panned out. Um, it's not an unusual thing for a ship to salute an island, to come in close, and... but he was far, far, far too close and um, was deemed responsible. He uh, was sentenced to 16 years. And the breakdown of the sentence is really interesting. Ten years for manslaughter, five years for the shipwreck, and one year for abandoning ship. And really? 
yeah, I think a, a lot of us would think it perhaps should be the other way around. There's something so, so disreputable and ghastly and, and um, gutless about a captain getting off his ship and sitting there watching all these people drown and not lifting a finger to help while the Coast Guard and, and people from in, in regular boats from all around this island are trying to get these people off the ship and getting them into safety and he's just sitting there feeling sorry for himself on a rock. It's, um, it's an amazing tale, really, and, and a shocking tale of cowardice that, that you know, Lord Jim brings to mind while, while I'm reading it. Um, and there's no, there's no redemption for Francesco Chattino. I will post up a, a Great Vanity Fair article on our Facebook page. It really is it's an amazing tale of not just cowardice but also heroism because uh, it was almost accidental. A woman aboard the ship, because they were told everybody on the ship, nothing to worry about here, as, you know, as is the case with most cruise ships. Said, nah, it's fine. You just go back to your cabins and lock the doors and everything will be fine. And the power goes out and the water's pouring in. You know. But someone rang her mum, a passenger rang her mum, who then rang um, the Italian equivalent of triple O you know, right. and, and set the ball rolling. And the, the head of the Coast Guard was in bed watching some film. I can't remember, like Outlaw Josie Wales or I don't know, some, something like that. <laughs> and he gets a call. He's like, oh, man, it's filming. <laughs> I'm in my pyjamas. And um, he's like 60 miles and he races. And he's, it's, a, it's an amazing tale. But, um, you know, uh, Lord Jim is, is a book I've been meaning to read all my life and I finally got to it. And it is a... Very interesting tale of, of you know, colonialism, of racism, of cowardice. And like I say, cowardice is something that's always been in my life. I'm being so brave myself. <laughs> it's kind of like seeing how the other half lives, right? Exactly. Seeing how a coward would deal with something. Now, did you watch I May Destroy You? Yeah, I watched one episode of it. Uh, okay, let's go then. Yes. <laughs> You go first. <clears throat> okay. Andrew, did you watch I May Destroy You? Because I, I do remember giving yes. you some homework yes, yes, before yes, the yes. break. Yes. Yes, I watched it. And? Uh, it's got that same actress from that other show. Chewing Gum. Chewing Gum. But mm. I, I, I really, I only watched a couple of them, but I really liked it, you know. Um, As in I'm you liked getting... Chewing Gum? Yeah, Chewing yeah, Gum. Yeah, okay. I liked that. Yeah. Um, uh, one, one episode was enough for me. One of, episode? I make it. Absolutely one episode is enough. There's a lot on at the moment. Right. Uh, as you know, mm. given that's your line of work. And I, frankly, I need more to keep me interested than this particular tale. I'm not saying it's not interesting. I'm not saying it's not well done. Um, but for me, uh, it's not for me. <laughs> I, got, I don't really know how to counter that other than to say... <laughs> So it's it's twelve episodes. Yeah, it's uh, written by and it stars Michaela Cole, who, as you mm-hmm. as you rightly say, uh, was also the creator of Chewing Gum. Chewing Gum is it's a comedy, right? It's a comedy about uh, a young girl raised in a religious family, coming, like, I guess, coming into her sexuality and whatever, exploring whatever is out there. I may destroy you is really not a comedy at all. It has the occasional funny moment, but mm. it is a pretty bleak show in, in many respects about, um, well, in the simplest terms, it's it's about sexual consent, and I think that's how people have framed it. It's about the notion of sexual consent. But, but for me, it's also about the idea of sex as this transactional space. So there are people who are basically 
um, in one way or another engaging in the world of sexuality very much through, you know, platforms like Grindr and Tinder and what have yeah. you through sort of, you know, drunken pickups and, um, and through date rape and, and a whole range of things that are kind of pretty ugly, really. It's a, it's a pretty grim view, I think, of, of you know, the sort of uh, the realm of mating um, mm. in one way or another. But, you know, it is driven by this, um, this core story about um, uh, a young woman, um, Arabella, played by Michaela Cole, who um, has a drunken night and kind of gradually starts to piece together this sense that something has happened to her that um, is probably sexual assault. It's mm. happened in a toilet. She doesn't know who, who perpetrated it. She doesn't know exactly what's happened. Uh, she's not sure how much of it she's remembering and how much of it she's imagining. And she, over the course of these 12 episodes, pieces it together. And uh, Is she a reliable narrator, as they say in the book reviews? No, she's a pretty unreliable narrator. Yeah, and that's, yeah. that's part of that's what problem, this story is about, yeah. is, is like, how, how do you... How do you own this kind of story about about an incident in your life when you know you you are not a great a greatly reliable narrator when you take a lot of drugs you drink a lot um, where you, you're up for it but you're up for it so long as it's the version of it that you're up for you know and mm. it's it's that it's that notion of where the line is the whole time and. It plays out across multiple characters and multiple storylines over this series. Um, you know, it, it it's it's really complicated and complex stuff, and I think it's I think it's amazing. I think it's really it's one of the best things I've seen in a very very long time. It's very mm. challenging. It's very um, it, it's it's uh, uncomfortable in lots of places, but I really reckon it's worth checking out, and I reckon it's well worth more than one episode. Andrew, yes, I thought you'd say that. It's only hard to get through in the sense of the subject matter and how confronting mm -hmm. some of the scenarios are. As a mm -hmm. piece of writing, performance, and direction, it's really, really vibrant. It's it's mm -hmm. it's amazing. It it does it does things in a really innovative way, and uh, and it is just it's fresh. It's a really fresh piece of work. So if you haven't seen it, I may destroy you. It's on Foxtel. Check it out. Everybody's talking. So this is a show, it's uh, based on a Stephen King novel. Are you talking about The Outsider? I am. Ah. I am. Which, yes. uh, I'm not a reader of Stephen King's work, but I know the kind of stuff he writes about, and maybe that should give me a clue <laughs> what this was about. Uh, <laughs> there'll be some scary stuff. I'm, I'm going to wager there'll be some scary stuff. Okay, scary stuff, but also supernatural stuff. Yeah, yeah. Okay, things happen in this show that is basically, and I didn't realise this when I started watching it, uh, it's about... Children being murdered, and there is a clear culprit of this murder who is arrested. But because of the various supernatural things that happen in Stephen King novels and in this show, it's more than meets the eye. Mm -hmm. um, but it's 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 really well written. It's very well acted, uh, and it's compelling. But um, it's it's something that only a few, and, and there are probably more people than I who are of the view that it's, they're quite happy to sit and watch some kind of drama that is really based in, in reality and in realism 
turn out to have a supernatural cause right. rather than a mundane human cause. Uh, if you don't mind that, um, then I recommend it because it's really, it's, it's great. It's re- everything about it is really good. How much Except of this have you watched? All of it. Oh, you watched the whole thing? Well yeah, done. No. Well done. Oh, yeah. Well, I, yeah, I, um, <laughs> yeah. Some, you know, sometimes. Was there a tipping point where you went uh, diminishing returns? Or the first, the first one, I thought, oh, okay, I don't, you know, as I as I said, shows about children being murdered is not my idea of entertainment at all, and ha- I don't think they ever have been. Um, but um, uh, you know, sometimes one allows oneself to be swayed by another opinion, and. It was it was like the, the the scenes between the the adult humans and the acting and it was really good it was really good um, but again it's just it's just not my thing you know mm. um, and and but I think it's going to be a lot of people's thing. I think it's oh look, really I think well it's made. fantastic. Uh, I think it's uh, Mendelssohn is fantastic in it, obviously, Isn't he? Yeah. Uh, yeah. as he is in most things. But um, and that Irish bloke, Paddy Considine. Yep, but I don't think he's an Irish bloke. He's got Irish name. Uh, Paddy Considine. Um, mm. Is he Irish? I think he is Irish, isn't he? It sounds like he would be. I presume he is. I've never, I can't remember when I last saw him in anything, but but I'm, I'm sure he is. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, it's Cynthia Erivo plays um, this detective who's uh, roped in to, uh, she's sort of a detective. Well, she's a psychic. Let's, let's just. Just get yep. out there. She's a psychic. She's a psychic. She gets she gets roped in by private investigators to work with the detectives to investigate this murder, and it's like, you know, it's sort of, it does get a little bit. I mean, a little bit silly. I think mm-hmm. in in the sense of you you have to. I mean, it plays like a really gritty crime thriller, a, a really high end procedural drama. It's like. This thing has happened. Now we're going to follow it. It's a bit like True Detective in that sense, like the first season yeah. of True Detective, and yeah. and even to the extent that it sort of goes into some, you know, that territory. I mean, this goes much weirder than True Detective did, um, mm. but it definitely has some echoes of that. It it has echoes, I think, of of Twin Peaks, the um the you know the the original two series where yeah. you had this sort of. Uh, broad notion of evil in a community character, you know, sort of um, personified by the character of Bob, who sort of yeah. ran sort of in, throughout the community, but took different forms. Um, That's where it lost me. I yeah, yeah, no, and I and I get that. I understand how it's com- how yeah. it's sort of like. I, I really, I really liked Twin Peaks, but I, but once it seemed that oh, okay, it's not going to. It's not. It's be not a person. It's a thing. A per- it's a it's phenomenon. Be this, yeah. Yeah. And so, well, yeah. Um, and it, it has really, really clear echoes of Stephen King's It, which is, uh, you know, very much about uh, a sort of a generalised um, sort of evil that mm. takes takes form. In in the case of It, it takes the form of a clown who lives lives in the sewers and perpetrates hideous acts upon children. So there is a, you know, there is a there is an echo in mm. in this of a lot of other things, but particularly of, of King's own work and uh it it does you know it does require you to sort of like go right we're gonna we're gonna change gears really markedly from this very very high-end realistic kind of crime drama to Mm -hmm. this supernatural space and it you know it's kind of a big ask but i went with it 
Jeff Goldblum has this TV oh, series yeah, yeah. where he does about a half an hour going through various, uh, like one week it'll be like some hipster cultural touchstone, then it'll be a white dress, so it'll be like half an hour on recreational vehicles or ice cream or denim or tattoos. I mean, I'm not interested in it. this is This is what, to me, marks it as a show uh, worth watching is because I'm not interested in any of those things at all. Yeah, right. But him, he has the most strange way of He's presenting so kooky. himself and talking to people. Yeah. And it's it's bizarre watching him and hilarious. It's yeah. delightful. Like uh, I've, I've watched a couple of episodes of that show Portlandia where he appears in various guises as a guy who owns a doily shop, right, right. <laughs> a mattress shop, and and he's, you can't take your eyes off him. He's, he's magnificent. I've never seen an actor be so magnificent as just themselves yeah, yeah. or the creation they've made. I think themselves. he only ever plays himself, really, doesn't he? Well, so many, so many do. You know? Yeah, but, I mean, he's like – uh, the first time I saw him was, what, the big chill – and mm-hmm. then, you know, The Fly, of course. He's, like, mm-hmm. so good in The Fly. I mean, that is... I've never seen that. <gasps> oh. Yeah. Oh, never seen please, that. do yourself a favour. Do it. Um, the, guy, the guy turns into a fly, right? <laughs> I think you've nailed it. Yeah, that's what happens to this film. Man becomes fly. Sure, that's great. The ending of the original version of The Fly, which mm. I think had Vincent Price in it, if I remember mm. correctly, um, it just has this magnificent shot of of the fly caught in a spider web, oh. but it's got a human head and oh. it's tiny and, and it's just going, help me, help me. I have seen I've It's seen one of the great scene. moments. I've seen that scene, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, <laughs> Jeff Goldblum would never go. Help me! <laughs> but it's 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 a nice hipster white trash kind of line that that he moves back and forwards between, and it seems like he's able to talk with all. He speaks it, all languages. I think the thing about Jeff Goldblum that that is is so kind of compelling when you watch him is like you never know if he's serious about anything. No. Right? No, it's just like yeah, he's yeah. just he's just like, you know, six foot four of irony. Mm. Yes. And yes. borderline sleaziness. And you're kind of going, is he being sleazy or is he just being ironically sleazy? <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like, should I be repulsed or should I be going, yeah, Jeff, nice one. <laughs> one, of the, one of the highlights is when he, he goes to some sneaker laboratory and they, they work with athletes and that and – on a, on a special computer kind of treadmill so that they can measure their gait and look at which part of the foot they land on. And he, he has this very mincing style, <laughs> running style. He's a boy <laughs> who would look like has never run anywhere in his life. He's just, you know, and he keeps running over the thing and the guy's, can you come, come back, come back, do, do it again. Less bopping, less bopping. Just run normally. <laughs> just don't bop. Just run normally. <laughs> he keeps doing. He can't run like a normal person. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. I have. I have not seen the show. I've seen it in the. I've seen it in the uh, the directory, and I've thought, ah, should I? Should I? It's well. Yeah, yeah I can't. I, should. I don't know. I clearly I should. Know, but, no, but I should. If, if you if you find Jeff Goldblum delightful, then then this is for you. <laughs> I'm going to check it out. I think that's a good a good recommendation. That's it for the clappers. Thank you for listening. 